This podcast is sponsored by the Joyce Foundation, which invests in public policies to advance racial equity and economic mobility for the next generation in the Great Lakes region. Hello, this is Mickey Chikailo with Cranes Detroit Business. We're here at the Mackinac Policy Conference, and we are here with Angelique Power from the Skillman Foundation, CEO and president of the Skillman Foundation. That's right. Hi. Hello. Wonderful to see you here. Wonderful to see you too. And she has brought a couple of guests along with her uh, today as well to join our conversation. Yes. Um, I have Eva Olenta, who's with me, as well as Imani Harris. These are two wonderfully brilliant young women who are going to discuss education policy and also Gen Z and their influence on the future of Michigan. I am really excited to hear about Gen Z. I have a couple of Gen Z uh, teens, uh, so a little younger than you, but I think I think category-wise, they fall in the Gen Z category. Yes, so. 12 to 27 is Gen Z. Oh, yeah, they're definitely yes. Gen Z. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I wanted to start with, uh, you, you'll be speaking on a panel, I believe. Um, tomorrow tom- morning. Tomorrow. Wednesday, uh, May 31st at 10.30 a.m. Got it. And the title of that it references... Um, uh, Changing the game from strategy to policy. Yes, Gen Z changing yeah. the game from strategy to policy. So how do how does Gen Z change the game from strategy to policy? Well, you know, this is an incredibly influential generation. This is the largest generation right now. Uh, it's a fourth of the U.S. population. It's a third of the world population. Um, as I mentioned, they are between 12 and 27. They are the most diverse population. 48% are folks of color. One in five identify as LGBTQIA+. One in three are gender non-binary. And so I think um, what I have been able to understand about these young people is that they are intersectional in their identities and also in their analysis. So in the way that um, when we're going to talk about the population study, but the population study will highlight how um, for the last few generations, we've been making decisions that often are under investments in public infrastructure. And then here comes Gen Z. And they see things very differently. They have a collective attitude. They feel like we are connected to each other, that our survivability and thrivability is connected. And so they have really big ideas of how we need to change things. And they are changing things right now. That's that's a great segue. So I'm curious. I would love to hear from you both in terms of how you go from the big ideas to, and it is, I mean, this is a big question for all of us, but how you go from the big ideas to making change on the ground? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, can I, can I point to you, Imani, actually, because, um, and maybe you could tell a little bit of your story, mm-hmm. but from a very young age for both of you, yeah. you founded organizations, you've written op-eds, mm-hmm. you've had a deep interest in how your lived experience mm-hmm. needs to be recognized mm-hmm. and seen, and in particular with, with schools, but with many other things. Can you talk yeah. a little about that? For sure. So that's what I was going to say. I think it really is just taking that first step. I think a lot 
lot of times as students, as young people, we don't know that we can have power over who we are, our narrative and the decisions being made. Um, and so I was 14 and 15 years old seeing my teachers um, at the time of the sick outs. If you remember when the schools in Detroit were going bankrupt and yes. we couldn't afford to pay teachers, I saw my teachers sticking out. Right. And then being threatened by emergency management. And they taught us you can have a say, write a letter to your senator, write a letter here or there and say something. And from writing that letter, I saw it go nationally to the Huffington Post. I saw it go to the Detroit Times. I saw it go to a lot of places that I didn't think my voice even was heard. Nonetheless, matter, right? And so um, I think just taking that first step and believing in yourself, mm. believing that you have the power and knowing that someone is listening, even if it's one person, somebody is listening. Um, and then from there, Tapping into the people that are around you, right? So after I wrote that letter, I started to realize I wanted to be an organizer. What does it mean? Educating yourself on what does that mean? Who are the people around me that are already making this happen, already doing this? And then just being open to learning and building. Like she said, we built up an organization that was already working for adults. We said, we all are your children here and we want to roll in it. We come to all your meetings because y'all drag us here anyways we might as well have a role in <laughs> what's happening and so you know if you're talking about schools how do you talk about that without students but sometimes that's a foreign concept you think as a parent I know what's best but you don't know what's happening inside of the school and so just being a student and being open to sharing your experience sharing also what you think is best because sometimes as adults we don't listen I'm an adult now and I realize we don't listen all the time to what children might want or what they might need we just think we know and so being open to sharing this is what I I feel this is what I experience and this is what I know to be true and standing on that. So I would say taking that first step and then sharing with those around you. Eva, would you like to expand on that? Um, I think for me, taking that first step was really important. Um, In 2020, during the George Floyd protests and Mm -hmm. uprisings, I was really scared. Um, For one, I was scared because of COVID, but I was also scared because I'm a black person living Mm -hmm. in America. And I understand that. I think that during that period, I was just really confused as to where do I stand in this? Where do I come in? And that's why that's what prompted me to start my organization. And this didn't even start as an organization at first. It was just a protest. And I was like, I want the names of black women and girls to be the forefront or to be introduced to this conversation where we have never really been a part of this before. And I understood that within my city, Black girls are constantly being harmed within Michigan, within the United States. We're always being harmed, but very little people speak up for us. And I knew that if I wanted anything to change for just even myself, I had to just kind of take that step. Mm -hmm. And it was scary, but I did it. I held a protest and kind of like what you were saying, Imani, I had to educate myself first. It took a lot, but I had so many people who I could lean on who really came in to support me. A lot of black women who had already been in these positions, who knew what organizing was and who just understood that they needed to take me under their wing and just kind of guide me. And I think as a black girl, that was something that I never experienced before. And that is where I really learned collective, where I learned community and where I just learned that as a young person, I still have a voice. I think we need to understand that young people are restricted citizens, but at the same time, people need to listen to us. We are a group that we see so much and we witness everything from the outside, but our voices are never heard. People never come to young people and say, how do you feel about this? Especially with the pandemic, you did not hear any 
anybody asking, even just fifth graders, how do you feel about COVID? How do you feel about being stripped away from school, from friends? And these are groups of people that we understand are going to still go throughout life and hold all of that in. And nobody is ever going to ask, oh, how, how do you feel about this? What do you think we need to do? Even though young people, we see everything. And where do our mm-hmm. voices fit in? We know that we're still going to have to live in this society way, way beyond everybody else. And then we're going to be forced to fix these issues that we didn't cause. And the thing is, if we would have been included in the conversation, maybe some of these issues wouldn't have even progressed to the way that they are right now. Okay. And, and I just want to add sure. one thing I love that you mentioned about community. I think the biggest thing with our generation is like creating community that works for each other. And it's not a community that already exists. It's not just, oh, because we're black, we all no. we create a community that works for us based on who we are and not just coming um, based off identities or based off needs or wants. It's really about collective community and like a common goal. And we really try to fit into that narrative a lot. So I agree. I think that's one thing that's really special about young people these days is that we understand humanity and we understand care of people as humans outside of different identities. And we understand that we can only get to our goal as a collective. Now I know why you were both described as Gen Z cha- change, change makers. <laughs> I want to ask about education systems. And I know one of the big initiatives here is to reform uh, education in Michigan. And I guess, Angelique, start us with what you see now and where we need to go. So uh, the Citizens Research Council conducted a population study. And so Skillman for 60 plus years have talked about education and uh, young people and how we need to improve education systems. But I want to contextualize this and why it matters to your listener right now, which is that Michigan is losing its population. It's getting older. And um, we actually need to figure out how to attract and retain young people to stay. And that is for the economic outcomes of Michigan. Um, It's for the future workforce of Michigan. And so a critical component of that is our education system. And I think people really started to wake up to that during the pandemic. We all, if we have, I have a teenager at home too, um, we became adjunct faculty in their lives and, and started to actually understand how hard educators work around the clock and how they had to innovate on a dime and change technology. But um, often we talk about the score of reading tests or of math tests. And we see them as an indicator of how a student is progressing, as opposed to seeing it as an indicator of how a system is functioning. Mm. And so if we actually look at where Michigan is in general, and I'm talking urban districts, as well as rural districts, I'm talking wealthy suburban districts, Across all of Michigan, students are not getting the education that they need because the system has been underfunded for so long. So the population study looks at 30 years of lack of investment in our education system. Now, I will say the budget is on the table. You'll hear a lot about how we are increasing our investment. The per pupil investment is at 9700 Um But 
if you talk to young people and if mm -hmm. you talk to educators and if you talk to parents and researchers, you'll know that that is a drop in the bucket of what's needed. And so what Michigan needs is to um, massively increase their investment. And I'm talking like a hundred percent increase, which Ed Trust Midwest has quoted as, as one of the opportunities. But massively increase our investment in all schools and especially in schools where they need more, they should get more. Sure. So it's more money that's needed in the education system, but we also need to innovate the the pedagogy and the curriculum, you know, we've seen the autos completely rethink how they function. Education systems, they've been built for factories. They've been, you know, working with scholars to get them ready for the line. Right. And actually we need to reinvent how we approach curriculum. This podcast is sponsored by the Joyce Foundation, which invests in public policies to advance racial equity and economic mobility for the next generation in the Great Lakes region. And I think we're going to hear a lot this week about the need for the um, preparing young people for the knowledge-based economy. The term upskilling is being used a lot these days. But yeah. b before I get to that, I do want to ask about population stagnation or, or growth or, you know, where we need to go. And Eva and Imani, in terms of um, do you see people in your peer group leaving the state or what do you, what do you hear? Um, because I, I, I hear a lot of adults talking about the need to keep young people here. And like I said, I have a couple of teenagers myself and I hope they stay, but who knows, right. You know, um, but what, what are you hearing in terms of what young people, um, what they see in Michigan and Michigan's future? I think it's really interesting because I was a young person that went away for college. So I went to Northwestern university. I was in Chicago. Mm -hmm. Um, and I told myself I was not coming home. Like I was not coming back. I was done with Detroit. I didn't want to be here. But after four years, I mean, when you leave a city like Detroit, people remember you if you made a mark. If you did your thing while you were here, people are calling about you. They're remembering you. And so when I was gone, people were calling for me. And when I graduated, people were calling for me. And so the idea that the opportunities are not in Detroit, I think really is a myth. I think maybe is a past tale, definitely. But as for now, there are a lot of opportunities in Detroit. And I see me and my peers, a lot of my peers graduated from Michigan State, um, University of Michigan, Central Michigan, Saginaw Valley. And they want to continue their passions and what they want to do in Detroit, in Michigan. And so I think the, ter the, the fairy tale is that you leave Detroit and there's better. But the reality is that there's already opportunity and people know your name and home is already there. And so I, I see a lot of people around me like myself, maybe they left for college, they went to a different city, but now they're home and they're happy to be home and they're finding careers at home. So, that's so you're not see. seeing young people fleeing the state and saying, I'm never coming back. No, I see them all coming home just like me. <laughs> Eva, what are you seeing? I think for me, because I'm um, a part of like a little younger group of people, we are definitely we definitely want to leave. Um, <laughs> and I say that because we are not at that period in our life yet where we see a reason to come back. Mm -hmm. It's like we've gone through this school system. We've gone through life as teenagers and we did not like it. We were not listened to. We were not trusted. People did not actually want to hear our voices. And I think because of that, we're trying to go to spaces where we know we can be heard. And like Imani was saying, I think Detroit is a really special place. 
I think Detroit has a love of people and community and nobody wants to leave that. The opportunities are there, but people are not really giving us a reason to stay. And I think that's the biggest thing. The opportunities are there, but when you don't see those opportunities necessarily being presented to you on this platter, how do you know how do you know how to get them? And I think that's a really big thing is that there is not necessarily a large access to these opportunities. And if there is, there's only access for a certain group of people. Go ahead. I, was, I want to ask about upskilling because I think it ties yeah. into this, but go ahead. I was going to build on that. Yeah. Um, you know, I think a lot of incredible investment that's been really important uh, has happened in downtown Detroit and in midtown Detroit. Um, and I think that you're starting to see it in some other places like the Avenue of fashion, you mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. um, you're starting to see, uh, in different areas on the East side and on the West side, you're seeing a lot of small businesses start to come back, but, um, it's going to take massive movement like that to get young people like Eva to stay. And, you know, Skillman, we were one of the people calling Imani, like, when are you coming home? <laughs> <laughs> um, but to get, uh, folks like Imani to return. And, and, you know, you look at things like the schools, we, you know, and I've already said that we need to have massive investment, but you look at things like public transportation, you know, walkability, you know, you look at things like uh, ability to open your own business and have support to make it be successful entrepreneurialism. There is no lack of entrepreneurs and creativity in Detroit, but we need to actually provide the same type of tax incentives, same type of grants and support for the neighborhoods that we have been doing for the downtown and then we're going to see a shift. Okay. One point I did want to ask about is when you hear some of the corporations like Ford and others talk about the need for more um, uh, knowledge-based workers for this new economy where the EVs are pushing to um, and, and the, the need to get more young people, I guess, prepared in the STEM and so forth. Does that, is that something that, um, that you're working on and that you're intersecting with? When you hear that message, what do you think and what's happening there? Yeah, so I want to break that down a little bit. Um, so the knowledge economy is real. And uh, where we are moving with tech, what that means is that a lot of these jobs, they you can't walk in off the street and do them. And so um, you, what's required is this four-year degree to have entry into the knowledge economy. Skillman does understand that. And we've been doing a lot of work to create college-going culture and to provide, you know, uh, help intermediaries who provide scholarships. Um, but I think what is underneath it is this huge bifurcation of the economy because a four-year degree is very expensive and the schools that um, are meant to prepare folks for these colleges are underinvested in. So you are already self-selecting who gets to be in the knowledge economy. Um, a lot of what we talk about is uh, placemaking too, and you'll hear that a lot during this conference. Sure. There's, I think, 500 million proposed in the budget to go toward potential placemaking projects. That's a lot of what I'm talking about in terms of walkability and, and entrepreneurship. But a lot of it is is uh, focused on attracting young professionals with college degrees to move to Detroit. And so that to me is very coded language. 
of certain people who are are allowed to have attended schools that are allowed to you know uh, get accepted into certain colleges that can earn that does that make sense yeah versus taking the young people we have here and and giving and giving developing. them developing yes. and giving them and investing in and developing like pouring into mm-hmm. um, the fertile ground that we have here and so I think it's really important uh, for for industry and for policymakers who uh, both of whom are here mm-hmm. to understand that actually um, we're not going to attract our way out of a problem. We actually, if this, if we nourish our own soil and our soil is fertile, that's the best way to grow something. Wow. Great. Thank and I would just money. add, like, remember that you're working against disinvestment all the time. It's like actively working against historical disinvestment from a community that you're trying to come into. So there is so much ground we could cover here. Uh, no, this is really this is really meaningful. And I know we've only just touched the surface. I know your program tomorrow will be great, and many will be paying attention to that. Is there any last words you'd like to share before we before we go today? <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I think I will share something. Um, I think, like you were saying, Angelique, there is a lot of potential here. But when you keep going outside and when you keep only pouring resources into a certain group of people, you will not be able to really develop this state in the way that you want. I think especially I'm going to keep bringing Detroit back into this conversation. But when you look at Detroit, when you look at our graduation rates, when you look at our college acceptance rates, you see that there is a huge education gap. And I think because of that, when you talk about access to college, when you even talk about these four-year degrees, these are not things that we all have access to. And I think because of that, when you keep pouring, once again, resources into other groups of people, into other cities, you will never be able to develop Detroit in the way that we need. We need more people to want to come back here. And when you keep pouring resources outside, Nobody wants to come back. And we understand that we are a city that is already so developed, but we have so much more ground to cover. And that is something that can be done if we actually listen to young people, if we put young people within these conversations, put us in these rooms and just let us have a seat at the table. Yeah, and I would just add, um, so the organization I'm a part of is called 4A2 Forward. And so we do education advocacy work. And we believe that our schools are actually $4.5 billion underfunded. We have used a weighted funding formula to figure out this number, which is every student receiving what they need. And so if a student has more needs, transportation, special needs, um, they're just coming from a financial place of more need, they receive more per pupil funding. And so if we adjust the cost of what a student should get per pupil based on what they need, weighted funding formula, we're $4.5 billion underfunded. And so when we put numbers to things, right, sometimes it's easy to look at one student and say they might need this or they might need that. But when you really put a number to just how much is a city in a state under invested in, $4.5 $4.5 billion is just crazy. So I have more information here on this card as well. Feel free to share a website. Yes. Uh, oh, there you go. It's yeah. got a, it's got a QR code on it. <laughs> yes. Great. Well, Amani, Eva, Angelique, thank you so much for your time today. It's going to be a wonderful conference. And thank all the listeners for uh, joining us on the Cranes podcast. We'll have other conversations like these as well. But this has just been wonderful. I appreciate your time. Thank, thank you. Thank you. This podcast is sponsored by the Joyce Foundation which invests in public policies to advance racial equity and economic mobility for the next generation in the Great Lakes region.